1: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: Before we dive into this week's episode, be sure to follow, leave a review, like comeback stories, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. If there was anything Donnie and I could ask of you guys, it would be to give us a five-star review and a written review. Our mission has always been to reach as many people as possible to remind them that they're not alone and that we all have a comeback story within us. And we feel like you guys can definitely help us push that message further by helping us in this way. So we appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know all the times you've supported us from the beginning of the show to this point. So uh, thank you, and let's drop in deep to this week's show.
3: All right. Welcome back everyone. We are here for another episode of Comeback Stories and I'm here always with my main man, Darren Waller. How are you, brother?
2: I'm fantastic, bro. Anytime I get to talk to you, man, I'm doing great.
3: Oh, and this guest today, I mean, we'll just get right into it. So, our next guest, who you'll be hearing from today, wrote for 27 years before he got his first novel published. And during that time, he worked 21 different jobs in 11 different states. Today, he's written over like 20 books, yet his first one did not come until he was 55 years old. And since then, he's written bestsellers such as The Legend of Bagger Vance, which later turned into an epic movie, The War of Art, which changed my life forever, uh, a book called Do the Work, which is like the best title ever, and so many more. And so, Stephen Pressfield, welcome to the show, man. Right, thanks for having me, Donnie and Darren. It's great to be here with you guys. I guess I should also mention the book Government Cheese, which just came out, what, in December? And thank you for the yeah. gift, sending this yeah. Yeah, newly released. So you just keep them coming, man.
4: Yeah, that's that one is my comeback story. Yeah. We just, we,
3: <laughs> yeah. I hope we get that's to – uh, well, I know we're going to get to hear about that today. So we like to dive right in. Can you tell us what it was like for you growing up? Um,
4: I had a real um, Ozzie and Harriet uh, upbringing. You know, I grew up in the suburbs of of New York. Um, uh, If if anything, you know, I I, I went to a really good high school. Um, My mom and dad didn't get divorced. I didn't grow up in the projects or anything like that. Didn't have anything, you know, uh, if anything, my upbringing in terms of a challenge was that it was too sheltered that, uh, I, um, was never really exposed to, um, a lot of the challenges that you run into, uh, when you get to be an adult. So, uh, you know what you were saying, Donnie, about how it, it, uh, from the time I quit a, my first job to, to try to write was like 27 years before I got a novel published. And that sort of, I don't know if I would call that a comeback, but it was more of a kind of a journey through the wilderness, you know, like 27, whatever it was, 29 years of uh, just kind of struggling to, to find who I was and what my vocation was.
3: How would you say that, it's interesting, we just had a, another uh, football player on, we interviewed prior to you, Austin Eckler, who talked about his his childhood and just how challenging it was and how hard he had to work for certain things and it wasn't very sheltered and it's actually shaped him into the machine that he is today and defying the odds, being so small yet um, you know, being able to be so successful. But how do you feel like being too sheltered impacted you in your – I don't know teenage years your 20s what did that look like
4: well it just sort of compelled me once i became an adult my life sort of fell apart because uh because of not really being ready for the stuff that you were going to get and then i kind of um uh embarked upon a sort of a journey of real life you know of hard knocks um to uh to sort of get back to a place where I felt like uh, um, I had my feet on feet on the ground. By the way, I'm a big fan of Austin Eckler. I wish the Raiders would grab onto him as fast as they can. Um, uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. You know, I got to watch that episode for sure. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Well, and just for some context to our listeners, Steven and his wife are massive Raiders fans. Steven's wife was on here talking with us earlier and she's the is she the president of the what was the fan club called again?
4: Women of Raider Nation. She founded Women of Raider Nation.
3: Yeah, so they're they're currently grieving the loss of one of their um yes. favorite players. Where is she still who's- in
4: shock? <laughs> <laughs> Heartbroken shock.
3: But yeah, so, so I guess just getting back on track to, to your story, you talked about it uh, just being sheltered. Can you talk about just going back uh, into your childhood as, as an early memory of pain or struggle that you can remember?
4: Um, you know, I'm probably going to disappoint you guys. And the thing that uh, I don't, I, in my childhood, I don't really have, it wasn't really that kind of an upbringing, you know? If anything, I, I think of it as kind of an idyllic, upbringing that um, I lived in a great little town had a great high school you know friends every, everything if, if you on the surface everything seemed seemed great what 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 was really going on with me at the deepest level is that um, I was a writer I'm born to be a writer but I never knew it and I never could believe in it I come from a, a family of business people like you know, my uncles, my dad, everybody sort of uh, uh, commuted to New York City or business people like that. There were, there were no artists in my family. There was nobody that was in a creative field. I was never exposed to that as any kind of, uh, I had no role models in that area at all. Yet that was kind of what I was. I was that kind of a, you know, with all the things that go with that, the insecurities, the ego that goes with that. And um so that was really sort of part of my struggle to just to believe in what I already was, but I didn't know and couldn't really grab a hold on with any real faith. I'm sorry if I'm disappointing you on a comeback story. This that's what it was
3: well and but you but you have one i obviously when we get into the the, to the later years of that gap of when you were writing for so long but i think it's interesting how you had this gift this gift of writing um but you were not able to use the gift or you weren't using the gift which ultimately i think is like um when we talk about purpose like our purpose in life our purpose isn't static it's it's dynamic it's fluid but what is consistent are our natural gifts and talents. And if we're not using our natural gifts and talents, ultimately, we're not very happy, no matter how much money we're making or how much success we're having on the outside. So I think it's it's great to bring that up and, and highlight the fact that you weren't able to actually express or tap into your gift yet.
4: Yeah, the, the other thing is that, you know, if you're, if you're a natural athlete, as a young person, you tap into that right away right it's very clear by the time you're in fourth grade fifth grade or sixth grade you know Darren i'm sure that was true for you that uh people scouts were looking at you and everybody in the family a lot of times you when you're a natural athlete you have brothers big brothers big sisters whatever your dad or whatever who are also athletes so so early on you sort of know that but if you're in in the arts or particularly a writer you don't really come into your own you've got like a 20 year apprenticeship ahead of you right you got to learn a lot of stuff and not just um the skill of of the craft but the, the what i would call the soft skills like uh um how do you handle rejection how do you handle loneliness how do you handle the indifference of people how do you handle the hostility of people how do you believe in yourself particularly when you start out and you're no good. You know, you're a bum. You, you produce this stuff and it sucks, you know? It's it's mediocre, it's no good, and people tell you that. And so you ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I crazy? I mean, for, for years, that was the real question I was asking myself and my family was asking. Because I was, you know, uh, estranged from my family for years. You know, I didn't talk to my parents, didn't talk to my brother. And uh, people sort of thought of me in my my family and people who knew me growing up, like what's wrong with this guy? What happened to him, you know, you know, we, uh, you know, is is he crazy? And of course, I'm asking that same question. Why do I keep pursuing this dream? I keep writing screenplays. I keep writing books. Nobody wants them. I can't get them published. you know, I work a job, I save money for you know two or three years, I quit the job, I go, I write a book, nobody wants it. I work other jobs, I save more money, I write another book. I write another book after that, nobody wants it, you know? And uh, so you're asking yourself, like I say, am I crazy, what's wrong with me? So I, I, I uh, it's different from being an athlete. Um, and uh, it's just, it's a long apprenticeship like being a brain surgeon, except you're not in school. At least if you're a brain surgeon, you can say, okay, I'm in my first year of medical school, I'm going somewhere. But when you're trying to be a writer and everything you do is getting rejected, you don't have anything to hang on to at all. But that, again, I think I'm I'm probably blathering on here, but I think in a way that was great training for me and a great um, uh, grounding for me, because. When you when you living with failure for so long for me, you know, twenty plus years, twenty-seven years, you have to kind of ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know, am I doing it for money? Because if it if that's the reason, I'm really wrong. Am I doing it, you know, for women? Am I doing it because you know what am I doing it for? And I i eventually you have to answer the only answer to me is that you can't that, that you're doing it the work itself. You know, for me, the way it translated was, if I had another job, let's say I worked at an ad agency, which I did, you know, as a writer for an ad agency, at the end of a day, I would come home, I'd be so depressed that I just thought, I can't keep going like this. For the only thing that would save me was to try to write a story, write a novel, write something like that, even though nobody wanted. it. So the answer for me was, I'm, I'm a writer and I'm stuck with it. I'm going to do it, you know, no matter come hell or high water, even though nobody is giving any positive feedback and that in a, in a kind of a strange way is a really great grounding for you because at least your feet are on the ground, you say, I don't give a shit, I'm doing this, I'm in it all the way. But it took a lot of years to get to that place.
3: It, it sounds like you eventually had to detach from the outcome of of Definitely. where those where those books were going to go and just fall in love with the process, knowing that it was the process that was actually giving you the the healing and the fulfillment where you were actually using it. Um, maybe early on, we I think that's any time, I think the most important time of setting a goal or the most important part of setting a goal is detaching from the outcome because we don't have control over that. And sometimes we get so attached and then we forget as to why we're even doing it.
4: Yeah, it's, it, it's really true. And I think it, it must be true, Darren, it must be true in sports too. I mean, at some point you have to ask yourself, it's love of the game, right? You know, because you're not gonna be in the Super Bowl every year. You're not, you know, you're gonna get hurt. All kinds of, you know, you, I, I would imagine that you come back to just love of the game, right? And love of your brothers that you're, that you're fighting alongside. But um, if I can throw something else in here, uh, I'm thinking of, of people who are listening here. The other aspect of, of being in the creative arts, of being a writer or being any kind of an artist is that you have to ask yourself, where do ideas come from? And you realize very soon, if you're a songwriter, if you're, whatever it is, that the stuff that you're producing is coming from someplace else. You know, there's a whole other dimension of reality that you have to sort of tap into. And I I have, and so that makes you kind of humble in a way, you know, it makes you humble. It makes it, this is like the spiritual side of it, you know, that um, you can't have an ego because if you're really honest, you know that the stuff that's coming out of you is coming from some other place. And I've found that, that uh, the books that I wrote that had the most success, like, the Legend of Bagger Vance and The of Fire. I don't know if you know that book about the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. But those were two books that when, first first of all, I had no idea where they were coming from. It wasn't that I planned them or I thought, oh, this is a great idea, you know, I, not at all. They sort of took me completely by surprise. They sort of seized me so that I had no choice except to write them. And while I was writing them, if I thought to myself, I asked myself, are these commercial? Are they going to sell? I would say to myself, absolutely not. These are the dumbest ideas commercial wise that I can imagine. You know, a golf story that's sort of mystical, or then a story about a battle that took place, you know, 2,500 years ago that nobody can spell or pronounce, and no Americans are involved you with know, them, and, and those turned out to be the best. And coming out of nowhere and asking myself, "What do I know about I don't know anything about this sort of stuff. I'm just, just you know, opening up the can and weighing it." You know, um, so that's another aspect that um, doesn't come to fruition until many years in the process. You know, like I say, I was in my fifties uh, before I felt like my feet were really on the ground.
2: I can really speak to that as well. Uh, I'm a creator. I make music. Um, I, I produce. I record myself. So I'm, I'm on that journey. And uh, I think the same way, you know, I heard, uh, I don't know if you know who Pharrell is, but I heard him in an interview. He's talking about how ideas are, he's like, the universe is like a library in that if you're tapped in to a, a particular mode, particular space spiritually, like you can check out certain ideas from that library. And I feel like I'm the same way. Oh, that's great. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime I've ever tried to make a song happen or you know, force uh, lyrics onto a page, like it doesn't work. But I, like you said, where do these ideas come from? I ask myself the same thing because they'll hit me out of nowhere. They'll hit me in a car. They'll hit me in uh, three in the morning. They'll hit me in times and then they'll just start to flow out. And it's like, this isn't all me. I'm I'm almost just like a channel here. So it's like, I I definitely relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of artists do as well. Um, And I'm interested to dive more into your journey because me talk about not having your first novel published to your um 55 and not only does that take an extreme amount of endurance i feel like but also um can you can you talk to us about what the battles were like with uh self-doubt with uh potentially like different forms of self-sabotage i know i'm i've, I've been a master of self-sabotage myself like what are some of the battles that you were facing internally uh along this journey
4: ah that's, that's a that's a great
2: question um You know, in in my
4: book, The War of Art, that you mentioned, Donnie, which is really about the creative process, I I give a name to, to this force that I call resistance with a capital R. And resistance to me is, you're a writer and you sit down in front of one of these things, you can feel this force radiating off of the screen or the keyboard, and it's trying to stop you from doing your thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and, the, and it, it, the form it takes is a voice in your head. And you think it's yourself thinking these thoughts, but it's really not. It's really this negative thing. And the thoughts that it puts in your head are, you're no good, you have no talent, the idea that you have right now is worthless, it's been done a hundred times before, better than you'll ever do it, who do you think you are? You have too much education, not enough education. You're too old, you're too young, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're the wrong race, you are the wrong sex, whatever. It'll tell you all that. The other thing it'll do is it will try to distract you. And this is where addictions and stuff come in, right? It'll say, let's have a drink, you know, let's uh, light up a doobie, let's go hang out at the beach, whatever, right? Trying to get you off the, off the track. So, and, and one of the big things it'll do is it'll inflict you with self-doubt. And I have, I have a theory. I believe this absolutely after all the many books I've written is that if you start on a project and you don't have self-doubt, something's wrong. You should have massive self-doubt or something's, something's wrong, you know, because again, one of the laws of resistance for the capital R is that the bigger your idea, a book, let's say, or a song or whatever, the more resistance you will feel, the more self-doubt you will feel. So if you don't feel self-doubt, that's a very bad sign. because It shows you have a little tiny idea. But if you have a big idea in a sense, when I say big, I mean, in the sense of it's important to the evolution of your soul. The big, a big idea equals big resistance, big self-doubt. So so Darren, to answer your question, self-doubt is like wakes up with me every morning to this day. It's a it's a constant battle with that. And I've sort of made friends with it in a way. Like I say, if if I don't feel it, then I worry. Um, but Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's my short answer to that one.
2: No, I I'm actually very encouraged by the answer as somebody that, you know, I've been very successful in, um, my football career. And, you know, I feel like I'm really, you know, I'm six years into making music, five years into making beats. So I'm like really starting to find, starting to find my sound. I feel like in that. And, uh, but the self doubt doesn't really go anywhere for long periods of time. There's times where I feel peace, times where I feel confidence, but um, that self doubt always uh, finds a way to loop back around. But this, what you just said, is so encouraging because it's almost like I feel a lot of opposition. I feel I feel the resistance with a lot of the ideas that I have. Pretty much every single one, whether it be music, whether it be where I want to take my career, where I want to be as far as service in my foundation work. So it's like, honestly, if I'm facing that opposition, I'm on the right track. Like if, you if are I'm on feeling the right that track. resistance, I'm really doing something that's meaningful or that's going to be able to have an impact in, the, in its right timing. Um, so the way that you sp- said that and placed that, it's like, that's very encouraging for me because I want to run from resistance usually. I want to go the opposite way. I want the path of least resistance. That's just uh, yeah. We all do. Yeah, that's our default character as human beings. I feel like.
4: Have you guys interviewed Rick Rubin on the show?
2: I would love to interview Rick Rubin. That would be that would be an amazing guest.
4: Well, you probably would be able to get him since he's got his new book. But but the one thing I would, you know, we all know like Rick Rubin is sort of like the Godfather of hip hop, right? He's he's worked with so many bands and groups. And if you think about it, I think what he does for groups that he brings into his studios at Shangri-La is he eases their self-doubt, right? He's sort of the guru, he's walking around with his bare feet, with his beard and everything, and he kind of creates this sort of really safe space for them. And he says, basically, I think what he said, I've never been there to watch him, but I'm sure what he basically communicates to them is, let it rip, baby, you know, you're safe here. I don't care if you fail, go big, go do something you think is never gonna work and is constantly encouraging them to do that. So I think like any of us, you know, Darren, you and me, whatever, Donnie, um, we sort of have to do that for ourselves. We gotta be our own uh, Rick Rubin, you know, and, and tell ourselves, you know, uh, really, really, go for it you know go for the ideas that seem like the dumbest ideas
3: yeah and your book uh the war of art which you know i've had sitting in in plain sight i can't tell you for how many years it's sitting right in front of me right now but there's so many things with the idea of resistance and one of the things i've heard you speak on is just also the closer you are to that breakthrough The more resistance you're going to feel which i think is was so important for me to hear because we think we're we're feeling all this resistance that we're actually farther away but it's actually that we're that much closer to the breakthrough or changing and for me i think it, it showed up as like wanting to break maybe it's generational dysfunction or um you know family dysfunction in certain ways and like being the change and then just Having opportunities, but just still feeling that resistance. But your words have really helped me understand that I'm not further away. I'm actually very close to it. So to keep leaning in.
4: Yeah, I think it's it's really true that uh, I think of resistance. As, it's kind of like the devil, you know. It's like uh, it's like the most negative force you can possibly think. It's like, it, as I like can say, Donnie, as you get closer and closer to a breakthrough point resistance gets higher and higher and stronger and stronger. And it's very in- intelligent force. It's not just a dumb force to stop you. It'll the arguments that it'll put into your head, you know, the voice in your head that you think is your own voice are very subtle, very sneaky, you know? Um, so I always tell myself that when resistance is really high is when I'm about to make a breakthrough of some time. Because I think we get we don't get better on a path like that. It's not as smooth. We get better kinda of like stair steps, right? You run into a wall and then you make a breakthrough. Then you run into another wall and then you you know, and another breakthrough. And resistance is always strongest when you're right at that stair step where you're about to go to the next level. But it's hard to believe that. You got you have to have that inner Rick Rubin telling you how to keep keep going.
2: Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask next. Were there any um, mantras? Were there any um, habits or rituals that you had that would help you, you know, each and every wall that you would hit to to keep going? Like, were there anything practical that somebody that's listening could take away?
4: The only thing really, you know, actually I heard uh, Anthony Hopkins talk about this. He's another guy you, should, you could get on the show. You know, the actor that played Hannibal Lecter and a million other great mm-hmm. things. And he's kind of a, Really interesting guy, you know. He's not stuffed on himself at all for all of his kind of things. Um, and he, but he appears on shows every now and then. There was somebody asked him that, you know, like what and what he said. I completely believe. He said, "Just keep going. Just keep put one foot in front of the other. You know, it's like The Rock when he talks about working out. You know, no matter how bad it is each say, get into the gym, do it." do it and then do it the next day. That's sort of the only the only thing that's ever stood, stood by I me. Mean, like for me, I kind of, I originally totally screwed up my first book that I tried to write and blew up my marriage, really hurt my wife, ruined her life, I felt. So I was coming through years and years out of tremendous guilt and shame. Um, so when I sort of uh, was I could never finish anything. I could never finish a book. I'd sort of chicken out at the very end. So this sort of shame would all would drive me to, to finish something. You know, it would make me keep going. Like if I quit now, I just can't face myself. You know, I can't live with myself. You know, so so I would be be cracking the whip over my own, you know, back. Just keep going, keep going, keep going.
3: Darren and I both come from the world of uh, recovery, and we've been blessed with so many great mantras and sayings. And one of the main ones in in those rooms is "one day at a time," and but mm-hmm. a similar saying is "is keep going." And I think that's what's allowed us to kind of be in in the process. And you know, with one or two days sober, saying "how am I gonna how am I gonna keep doing this?" and then for that to be pounded into our heads of just one day at a time. And eventually those days stack and become a really a solid foundation for the rest of our lives. So I love how you say that. I, I wanted to ask you maybe backtracking a little bit. You had mentioned earlier that for a while you were estranged from your family, like what, what, um, what caused that? Were you just on your own path? Were you resisting certain things or what was behind that?
4: Um. I'll I'll give you a little bit of the long version of this thing. My my first job was at, um, at an ad agency in, in in New York City, and I was like a young kid, a junior copywriter. And I had a boss named Ed Hannibal, and uh, he wrote a novel, and it was a hit instant hit. He quit, and to write to be a writer. So I'm like 22 years old, 23 years old. I said to myself, "Well, shit, I'll do that too." So I, I tried, and it and just totally flamed out. Choked, da 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 da, da. and uh, I sort of dropped out of the bottom of the middle class. I could no, I could no longer get a white college job. If I walked into a place, you know, I was a college graduate. You know, I'm a smart guy. They could just smell defeat on me and so i sort of fell out of the bottom and i began working the kind of jobs that you you only thing you need is a pulse to get the job like i worked in the oil fields in louisiana i worked as a as a in a in a mental hospital as an attendant in a mental hospital later i went to truck driving school and i became a truck driver and i did all those kind of you know dumb jobs that you know were, i don't say dumb but but jobs that um, And I was in other parts of the country away from my home. I was just, I was ashamed of myself for screwing up my marriage, for hurting my wife, for failing to be anything to provide anything like that. And I just was ashamed before my own family. It wasn't like I could come home for Thanksgiving and say, oh, everything is cool. I thought, I can't show my face again until I've done something, you know? That I can that I can point to and, and be proud of. And I'll tell you, on on the subject of recovery, do you guys know Sean McFarland by any chance? He works with Mike Tyson. He works a lot. He's he's got a place here in Venice and he's a, a real uh, kind of uh, um, guru to people who are who are having real struggles with addiction. Even as a place where they can stay. And anyway, when um, I go to the same gym as he did. We had said to each other, "Let's go have breakfast one day." So we did go to have breakfast, and the first thing he said to me—he didn't know really anything about me—kind of, and, and I, I've, I've, I've never had any trouble with alcohol, never had anything like that. He looked across the table to me and he said, "Are you sober?" And I said, "Why do you, why do you say that?" You know? And so, in other words, the point I'm trying to make is. My struggles with resistance, I think are the exact same thing as struggles with addiction. You know, It's self-sabotage, it's self-destruction, it's the, the wall that's trying to stop you from being who you were born to be. So I can absolutely relate to one day at a time, that's my mantra too. And the whole idea of a higher power, that's my mantra too.
3: I've also heard you talking about well, another form, and I think I want to get to some of the, hopefully we can squeeze all this in on one episode. We might have to bring you back for round two because this is, uh, there, there. there's so much to cover. But you have talked about the the unknown and stepping into the unknown. And I've, I've heard you speak on this and it's fascinating. I have a coaching exercise I do with my clients called stepping into the unknown. And I think why so many people struggle with truly stepping into the unknown is because they haven't, you um, died to the old their their old life they're still resisting they're wishing their life they had this vision of their life and they're still holding on to this vision but our 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 life is never what we think it's going to be so i'm just curious like can you touch more on that about why people struggle to step on step into the unknown and does it have to do with so much of holding on to the life that they're living right now or wish they would have lived well, it's, it's
4: certainly true. I mean, I, I think uh, it's probably comes from ev- our evolutionary past being cavemen and stuff like that, where if you say to yourself, well, let's try a different way of driving these mastodons over the cliff, and then we all die. So it becomes evolutionary smart to say, hey, let's stick with what we know. You know? Let's not go into the unknown. You know? um, but certainly, as as a, as a songwriter, as, a, as an artist, as a writer or whatever, that's your stock and trade is going into the unknown. That's kind of the skill that you have to develop, right? What's new? And and the more um, uh, unusual it is or, or unexpected it is, the scarier it is. It's scary going into the unknown, right? That's, you know, all the great myths and legends are really about, you know, Theseus or Odysseus or whatever, going into the dark cave, right? you know, Indiana Jones. So I think it's very, very natural to be afraid of, of the unknown. But there's a skill, if you can teach it to yourself one increment at a time, to be able to go into the unknown, that's, that's, that's where the good stuff is.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's about arriving to a place where there's a perspective shift of as opposed to I I don't know what's in there. It might be scary. It might be hard to hmm like I don't know what's in there, but I feel like there could be something amazing in there. There could be something <laughs> that I never even imagined happening on the other side of of what I may be fearing, what I may be thinking, and you know, for me, especially like the, with the life that I'm living now, I never thought it was possible. But the only way that I was able to do that was to go into the unknown and to wrestle with the discomfort of the unknown, wrestle with um, looking myself in the mirror in the unknown because, you know, I feel like really what's, what's in the, what's in the unknown, what's really out there is really just a mirror that's reflecting back into what I fear, um, what, what I'm afraid of, what I doubt. It just, just reflect revealing the, the lack of trust that I have in, In God and the lack of trust that I have in myself to be able to navigate, adapt um, to anything that I may face and still come out victorious, still come out um, with a story to tell and better because of going through it. But a lot of times we just see things as threats so easily because all we've ever done in our lives is run the opposite direction. I know that's true for me. I see opportunities as um, as fear, as, as threats first before I see them as great opportunities. But like you said, through training, through consistently seeking that discomfort, seeking um, to, to run toward as opposed to run away from, that's the only way to get there. It's the only way to develop the, the mental toughness like we were just talking about with Austin Eckler. It's like there's no way to develop that toughness or that skill without going head on into what you're deathly afraid of. And uh, just to find out that that fear probably isn't even real. Yeah, let me ask you, Darren. What like what specifically
4: is is a thing that you're afraid of in the unknown? Is it in the music? Is it football? Is it what? Uh, what specifically have uh, you like struggled with?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, football wise, it was always been like being, or really in anything in life is just like being a failure, um, be or being exposed as a fraud, not worthy of. The life that I'm living, like they're gonna kind of like the Scooby Doo, where they pulled the mask off the villain at the end, and it's just like they got him tied up, and it's like there he is. Like I feel like I, that's what my fear tells me is like, you know, even though that I've I've put in the work and devoted myself in all these different crafts, all these different things, there's a fear that somebody's gonna look at me because of all the mistakes that I did, because of the way that I viewed myself when I was a kid, um, that. I'm not worthy of this and that the whole world will just be like pointing at me laughing like ha 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 like that's literally uh-huh. um, a look at what the fear looks like for me so it's you know not wanting to fail as um, a football player because I know I have the these gifts and I don't want to be somebody that never saw their full potential and then music wise mm. it's like you know I don't have the the pedigree of other people but you know, I know it's in my bloodline with my family and just the, the passion that I have for listening to good music and, and, and making good music. Like I don't I don't wanna just fall on my face in front of mm-hmm. the crowd, you know. That's that's uh, still something I wrestle with. Do you with. find I that it's, wrestle with. it's
4: getting any easier as you go along?
2: Yeah, I feel like it gets easier. I don't I'm not crippled by it. It's just like little um little flashes, little hints of it, like little suggestions of like you know, you sure you want to go do that? You, know, you don't know, like you might, it might not work. It used to just be like, you can't do shit. You can't do anything. But now it's more so just like little hints that float by. And if it's like in my mind, like if I want to, if I latch onto it, I can ruminate and have that thing snowball. But if I can just see it, acknowledge it and let it flow by in my mind, it's, then I can get back to what I'm doing. So it's definitely uh quieted down. It's it's, it's gotten. A, a little bit easier, but it's still, uh, something that I got to wrestle with from time to time.
4: Yeah. It's, it's actually the same for me. I'm a lot older than you are, uh, but I know that I, I have succeeded in the past, so I can tell myself, okay, you can do it. But, um, each project is still really scary and it's still really the un, the unknown. It's still scary. Um, I'm going to show you. I'm I'm working on a, a new book right now. This these are some of like the cards that you work with, you know, and you know I'm just doing that to uh, to uh, uh, tell myself every this is okay, you know, you got a handle on it. Um, but the only reason I'm doing that is because I have so much self doubt about it, even at this stage.
3: Just listening to uh, Darren talk, when you asked him that question about has it gotten any easier, Um, Darren is very humbled, humbled to a fault sometimes. But I think it's gotten easier because he's done the work, just like like your book. He's done a lot of work, a lot of – I mean, he's more dedicated than most anybody I know or worked with as far as consistencies with daily habits and rituals and turning this not enough story into – Acts of of self-love every single day. So I don't think it was just something that um, eventually came to him. It's been it's been a direct result of him diving in and being like super, super consistent on his habits, routines, and rituals.
4: I think that's really true. Like for years I would try to say to myself, or I'm a writer, I'm a really a writer. I believe it, I'm a writer, I'm, uh, but I never believed it. And it's only after You've done it. You've actually really done the work, you know, for years and years, and i would say to myself, God damn it, I've got, you know, 35 screenplays over here. I've done. You know, I am, I have done, you know, um, and even then you still have self-doubt. So anyway, but that's absolutely right. You got to put in the work. Like Austin Eckler, you know, that's, you know, sorry I'm out of focus here. I'm, I'm not mentally out of focus, I promise. <laughs>
3: No, we 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 hear you loud and clear, and I'm just wondering, Stephen. Um, so we don't lose the quality of the 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 video. Would you be open to maybe jumping on with us for for a round two? Because I feel like uh, we might be a little short on time, and there's just so much that um, I know I want to ask you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can um, make this a two part series because I would we'd be doing our listeners a a disservice and selfishly for Darren and I, and I know. You know, Darren being so creative in his music and everything else he does, I know he's he's hyped about this conversation. So maybe we can uh we can uh say to be continued on this one and have everybody jumping back for the following week.
4: Okay, uh, that's fine with me. And I apologize. I don't know what happened with the camera. I'm I'm a low tech guy. We are
3: too, man. It's but good, but honestly, man. it's it's an honor and I, i'm I'm excited to jump back in more with you and I again I can't tell you I'll, I'll probably give you more acknowledgement on the end of round two but as I look at this war of art book and we'll we'll read some um, some of the pages from it on the next episode and you can elaborate more on them because it's just straight fire if you don't have the book go out and get it it'll it'll change the game for you
4: all right thanks a lot you guys uh, we'll communicate and, and make a plan
2: sounds Sir, good thank you thank for your your time. brother thank you okay, for your time, great brother.
4: thank you